Welcome to Open Hands, a podcast exploring spirituality, mental health, and the space in between. I'm your host and fellow wanderer, Sarah Nickerson. Our guest this week is Keith Lamar. Keith is an extraordinarily gifted speaker, writer, artist, and activist who's currently on death row in solitary confinement for crimes he did not commit. He shares the story of his spiritual journey with us and what it means to keep the light on through all of life's difficulties. Keith is scheduled to be executed in 2023 and has been in solitary confinement for 27 years. After listening today, please go to keithlamar.org to learn more about how you can support him at this time. All right, let's let's do it. Okay, so Keith, so happy to have you on Open Hands. Thanks so much for agreeing to be here. Um, so we can start by, if you want, just uh, telling us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Keith Lamar. I'm currently on death row in Ohio. I was wrongfully convicted back in 1995 after a prison uprising, which occurred in 1993. And um, I've been on death row for... 25 years, going on 26 years, and um, I've been um, engaged in a campaign to try to bring attention to my uh, wrongful conviction, try to retry mm-hmm. my case in the court of public opinion. So that's basically um, what I'm doing and what I'm about right now in my life, just really mm-hmm. trying to fight to stay alive. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've had the privilege of getting to write back and forth with you a few emails in the last month. Um, and it's been it's been so encouraging, Keith, to, to get to know you and to get to know your community. And uh, I think that you have just like a really special way with people. Uh, just from talking to our, our mutual friend Jason and to Wally, I know that you have really impacted their life in, in really significant ways. Well, yeah, um, that's that's nice of you to say. Uh, One of the things that uh, I try to do is treat people how I was treated when I was a young person, when I was a confused person. Not to say that the Mm. people you mentioned are young and confused. They're not. uh, But I met some pretty uh, amazing people when I came to prison, believe it or not. You know, yeah. I know based on the narrative, you know, this is not the place where you find good people. But I, I, I encountered some really good people in this place and, you know, father figures, guys who took the time to really uh, kind of help me grow up. And, you know, yeah. and, you know, that took a lot of patience, a lot of, you know, um, loving on their part. And so I try to do the same. I try to just mirror yeah. that example in, in my relationship with other people. And so it's good that you say that because, uh, you know, that means it's coming across. Yeah. Oh, it does for sure. And it's it's in such an authentic and, and real way. Um, and I also had the honor of reading your book, which I loved. I read it um, on, in about a, a few weeks. Uh, and one of the things that I really, really appreciated about your book is that you were so um you were unafraid to talk about like how difficult things have been for you and how much suffering that you've been through and you were really real about that like there was no glossing over like oh like you know it's been hard like you were straight up 
But then you also were able to sort of find this other part of yourself um, where you were able to create meaning and and find like a sense of spirituality in life. And, and I'd love to hear about both of those things. Well, yeah, um, in, in writing the book, I, I, I wanted to tell, let people know about the situation. But as I was describing the circumstances uh, and, and trying to create the context so people could, you know, to bring people into, you know, what took place, it occurred to me that I wasn't really touching on the story. And the story was, mm. you know, what was happening with me inside of me as I was going through these things. Yeah. It almost kind of seemed, it, it seems odd when, you know, when I look back on it, when I was just talking about the different individuals I met when I first came to prison. That yeah. taught me how to meditate, how to look for myself, and mm. um, and it was almost as if I was being prepared beforehand for mm. the situation that I I came into, and so I yeah. had already had a foundation um, mm. to kind of grapple and kind of overcome some of the things, to grapple with or overcome some of the things that I was confronted with when I was um, thrown on death row. And so I yeah. wanted to write about those things because I realized that other people, people who might be in a similar situation as me, mm. would be going through these things, same things, and I, and I thought that it would be uh, good to share some of the lessons and some of the ways in which I, you know, uh, I was able to navigate some of the difficulties. So the the book was, you know... This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Yeah, when I decided to do that, the book um, kind of proceeded on kind of um, two separate tracks. I was telling the story about how I was overcoming or trying to overcome because, yeah. you know, you have to keep in mind um, this situation that I'm in. Several, yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's basically like being thrown into the middle of the ocean in terms mm. of the, 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 um, the skills you need in mm. order to survive. And a lot of people who are put into these situations, I'm talking about solitary confinement, are young people, yeah. young people yeah. who don't have mentors like I did, who don't have mm. the resources like I did and, and do to kind of find their way through these difficulties. As a result of that, a lot of them end up drowning on the, mm. um, the immensity of the situation because it's an enormous thing to be thrown upon yourself if you don't yeah. know how to... Um, you know, deal with deal with things, and so you know, my book. I've mm. I've received letters all the time from guys in prison, guys who've yeah. read my book and, and and just you know write to thank me for you know helping them. So that's been one of the kind of um, indirect blessings of writing that book, you know. Mm. Uh, but also getting my case out and letting people know, you know, what the criminal justice system is about when you're poor where you don't have yeah. the resource to hire a top-notch lawyer and you have to throw yourself on the mercy of the, of the court. You know, mm. uh, there's really no mercy involved in that process, and I wanted people to be able to see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and you had mentioned to me that when you were growing up um, that you had, and I, I loved that you shared this and I love this story, that when you were young you had walked by a church, and I know music is something that that means a lot to you, and that is a, a huge part of your life. And and you had heard the music in the church, and you had gone in, uh, and and sort of had this sort of like baptism experience. You want to talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, yeah, no. So, um, you know, when I was 13 years old, I was living in uh, a real rough neighborhood. And um, I started hanging with uh, some older kids in, in the neighborhood, some of whom were car thieves. And this mm-hmm. was around the time I was, you know, was curious about driving, learning how to drive. It seemed like something exciting to do. And one day I got into a stolen vehicle with these individuals, and we went joyriding, quote-unquote. Mm. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> right, because there wasn't any joy in it because we ended up <laughs> being chased in a high-speed right. chase. It's oh. part of the most horrifying experience in, in my young life uh, wow. that I'm talking about. And we was in a high-speed chase going 80, 90 miles an, an hour down a, a, a business district in the suburbs of Cleveland, and, you know, we end up being caught, thank God, you know, because mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought we were going to die that day, you know, but, we, you know, <laughs> we were caught, and later on, uh, the judge, we went before one of the most notorious judges in Cleveland, Ohio, a guy yeah. named Leota Harris, you know, I'll never forget oh, his God. name, and it was about five of us, yeah, and they, they lined us up, and we went down the line, and he was giving everybody depending on how many times you had came before him or how many prior offenses you had, he was giving you six months for each offense. Some mm. of the guys was getting two years. Some of them was getting 18 months. And he got to me, and he looked at my record and saw that I didn't have a record. And mm. uh, looked at my file and thought that I didn't have a record and gave my stepfather uh, and my parents the decision to either take me home and deal with deal, deal with deal with me themselves or, you know, right. turn me over to the court. And my stepfather... You know, things were hard back then, money-wise. I think he was thinking it would be easier for economically. And we wasn't, didn't have the best of relationships, he and I. And so he chose mm-hmm. to turn me over to the courts. And so I went away for six months to a mm-hmm. juvenile uh, uh, detention center in Toledo, Ohio. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. You know, after six months of coming home from, from the juvenile Facility. I was walking home from my grandmother's one day, yeah. and I, it was a church that sat right there on the corner of our street. And um, I had walked past this church a hundred or a thousand times, maybe. Yeah. But on this particular yeah. day, as you as you said, uh, music was playing inside, and I went in and drew me in, and I sat in one of the back pews and listened to the choir sing, or the wade in the water. And, you know, I just started crying, basically, because I knew even then, I kind of, not knew on a conscious level, but kind of intuited the fact that my life was in danger. Yeah. That I was on, yeah. um, at, at risk of going down the wrong path in life. Mm. And so I, mm. I was sitting there, and, you know, um, after the choir start, stopped singing, the preacher started uh, his sermon and asked, you know, did anybody want to be baptized? And you know, I raised my hand, you know, 13 years old, and, you know, I raised my hand, and I was, you know, a few weeks after that, I came back, and I was baptized. I turned my life over to God. You know, but mm-hmm. that was like the beginning of all my troubles, not like the end of my troubles. Yeah. shortly after that, you know, well, I, went, I was living up in the attic at my time, just to tell the story. Yeah, And yeah. Um, I was um, up in the attic, literally waiting on God to... Because that was my understanding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That I would have some kind of vision, some kind of divine intervention of something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. I grew up in a super religious home, and there's sort of, yeah, there's like this idea that Jesus is just going to like pop out like a puppet or something. (laughs) 
And when that don't happen for you, you you take that person like, I must really be a bad boy, you know, or a bad yeah. girl or whatever the case may be. But, you know, it's a real childish way to think about God, you know, to think about God and to think about that whole realm of being. And, of course, yeah. you know, as a 13-year-old, I didn't have any access to, you know, uh, 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 understanding of those days. And so I waited and waited and waited. Meanwhile, school was about to start, and I needed school clothes. And my stepfather, Harry, already put my brother and I on notice that we were on our own, you know, beyond yeah. the bare necessities yeah. that if you wanted anything extra, you would have to get them for yourself. And so I started thinking about that. And shortly after that, I started selling um, drugs. I started selling yeah. marijuana. And um, I was 13, about to turn 14 years old. And, you know, I was a smart kid, you know, um, uh, and mm. that was, uh, you know, a gift and a curse. But I was too smart for my own good, and I, be, I was successful at selling drugs. So I was a pretty bright uh, little little guy, and by the time I was 15, you know, I had my own apartment, my own car, and I was living basically what you would call a, a grown-up life. But I was still a kid, though. Mm. I was yeah. living, by then, I was living in one of the most dangerous drug-infested areas of the city, in the projects, selling drugs and hustling all day, shooting dice, uh, smoking marijuana now, drinking alcohol now. This was a part mm-hmm. of my life. And right. I was still trying to go to school. You know, I was on the honor roll up until I just said, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done. You know, because what I was learning in school and what I was living in, in, in my life were two separate things um, right. completely. And I really couldn't make the connection with uh, algebra and you know, the kind of math I was doing on the street, you know. And so I just gave it up and, and, and started pursuing what I thought was my real life. You know, right. of course, you know, that led into a whole lot of trouble, you know, mm. on the way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. When did you start to discover your, your spiritual self again or start to connect more with that part of you? Yeah, I... Uh, as I said, when, by the time I was 15, I was, you know, had really made it in terms of, you know, being a drug dealer, successful drug dealer and whatnot. And yeah. by the time I was 18, you know, I was driving around in Mercedes Benz, you know, I was the yeah. man, quote unquote, you know. Yeah. Just, just steeped in my delusions, you know, at that point. <laughs> and at the same time, I was riding around and everybody was praising me and patting me on the back and hyping me up and everything. I, I had a growing, it was a growing sense of dread inside mm. of me. And I was having nightmares about being killed and everything. Yeah. And I, I expressed this to a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, uh, named Ken Wright. And mm. I was telling him about this and he told me that maybe I should turn my life over to God. Mm. <laughs> So I went to church with him, and and again I, I got baptized again for the second time, right? Yeah. So yeah. even while I was caught up in all this kind of uh, darkness and confusion, I was always, always trying to find my way back to myself, to myself right. as I knew myself when I was eight, nine years old, or whatever the case. You right. know, I always, yeah, yeah, I always. Um, had a, a, a string attached to that part of, of myself, and the string mm-hmm. had stretched, you know, to, you know, a great distance uh, at this point, but it was still, I was still kind of connected to it, and so, again, I tried to turn, you know, find uh, that deep, that deeper path, my, a truer path, and, 
you know, I got baptized. And again, I was looking for God to show up, to have a vision. And when that didn't happen, I continued down the path I was on. And and one day a group of guys, you know, bust into my apartment, you know, and, you know, with the intentions of robbing me. And by the end, I had started carrying a gun. Like with the, with the mm-hmm. idea that I would actually have to use it, but in the environment that I... This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Not really with the intent that I would have to use it one day, but the environment that I was living in, you needed a gun just to send a message that you meant business, right. that you were serious, right. you know. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, and so, um, you know, this guy kicked in my door, and I ended up um, shooting one of them twice in the chest and was myself shot twice in, in mm-hmm. the legs, and uh, I almost died in that incident. And uh, when I went to the hospital... Wow. On that day, the guy I uh, shot was lying right next to me, and I heard the doctors pronounce him dead. You know? Wow. Yeah. 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 So. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was. It was. It was. It was surreal. It was like a out of body experience because I was looking at That's these right. two people, and this guy I, I should I should add was once a, a you know a childhood friend of mine. We used to play basketball together. Used to walk to yeah. school together. But when the crack yeah. cocaine epidemic happened in 1988, okay. he, we were like on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of, you know, uh, that whole uh, 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 equation. He was doing drugs. He was a dope fiend at this time, and I was selling drugs. And so he was uh, hanging out with a, a group of stick-up guys, guys who whose gotcha. job it was to go around sticking up, you know, drug dealers. And I was a drug dealer. That was the role I was playing. And so yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it was tragic, but I didn't really understand the tragedy of it at in that moment. Of course, you know, yeah. Um, I, I, it, it took some years for me to put all those pieces together and kind of find my mm-hmm. way back to myself to kind of pull on that string and relocate myself or uh, refine my, 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 myself. Mm. Yeah, I think that, like, that's one way that our body serves to protect us right like when we've been through a lot of trauma or suffering we kind of do go far away from ourselves and that's protective in a lot of ways and and that's helpful because we we wouldn't survive but then like you said later in life um you were able to pull on that string and and come back home to yourself and what was that like for you like what was that um like when you were able to come back home and I know that it's like a lifelong process but what was that experience like for you, and how did you sort of find your way back home to yourself? It was just like you said, it was like coming back home. If you can imagine being away from where you live, where you grew up, where all your memories reside, and then being mm-hmm. able to come back to that after a long journey of being in another country or whatever the case may be. It's, uh, yeah. it's, a, peaceful, it's a peaceful It's a peaceful thing. You know, when I came to prison, I joined Islam because obviously Christianity yeah. had failed me. Yeah. You know, so I joined, <laughs> you know, I joined Islam thinking that maybe you know Allah would provide answers, provide provide yeah. a path. And um, of course, I, I, I was disappointed again for the third time and final time, as it turns out. And I was pretty much just done with God, just done with the whole mm. idea that there was something higher to uh, pursue in my life. And then I met these right. individuals I referenced earlier, and they kind of guided me um, towards, you know, the path. And they, and they told me that, you know, it, it wasn't that, you know, Christianity was uh, pointless or Islam is pointless. It's that, that you was looking at it all wrong. 
you know, mm. those things are really are just a, a, a vehicle, you know, and a, a path like a map so that you can have yeah. an encounter with your higher yeah. self. Yeah. You know, uh, the, 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 the ideal that if you, you know, uh, if you're a Muslim, the ideal is that if you submit to these philosophies, you submit to this discipline that your life will be changed, that your heart will be changed. Mm. Mm. And that in, in those changes, you will have an encounter with your higher, with the higher part of yourself. And, yeah. you know, the guys who taught me this, I mean, that sounded realistic to me. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, they didn't really have to do too much convincing, and so I was bored, <laughs> and so I learned how to meditate. Yeah. I learned how to do yeah. yoga. I learned how to, uh, uh, um, you know, walk the path. Yeah, yeah. When I was around 21, 22 years old, I had finally made the trek back to myself. Yeah. And finally kind of understood completely what I have done, you know, and so that was mm. great. You know, coming home was also painful. I said, I peace yeah. was also a painful thing. Because now the light is on and I can see all the damage I've done. Oof, yeah. Life, right? yeah. 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 And so that was a, a real um, turning point and, and something of a crossroads as well. Because, you know, mm-hmm. what a lot of people do when the light, uh, after they lived in darkness for so long and then the light turn, you know, comes on and it's like they see how much wreckage and how much damage they have done, that the instinct is to turn the light back off. And, yeah. and I didn't do that, thank God, you know, and I just started slowly and uh, uh, patiently putting my life back together, putting things where they belong mm-hmm. inside myself. And um, you know, it was a process, but uh, I'm glad I stuck with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What what made you not turn the light back off? Like what convinced you to keep going and to patiently keep moving forward? Well, well the people who kind of uh, pointed me in this direction told me that I would, you know, find these things, mm. you know. And so when I turned, when the light came on eventually and, you know, my life, I saw the wreckage that, you know, I had caused in, in my ignorance, in my blindness, uh, it was confirmation that they were telling me the truth that you know mm-hmm. like listen you, you, your instinct would, 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 is going to be the, the you know to flip the switch to turn it right. back off because now you know when you when you live in the darkness your eyes adjust to that darkness and so you yeah. become uh, uh, accustomed to moving around in the dark and, and that was the mm-hmm. case for me as well when you first turn the light on or, you, or when you first come into the light after being in the darkness, it hurts your eyes. So it's a painful experience initially. Yeah. And yeah. So of course the instinct would be to kind of, you know, move backwards. But life is about moving forward. And so I just kept moving forward, you know, uh, gradually. It wasn't, I wasn't taking any big strides. I was just taking yeah. little small steps towards my authentic self, towards my you know, mm-hmm. more authentic uh, uh, voice, and, and uh, um, that's how I, you know, uh, uh, became who I am now. Yeah. What did you find, like, when you did turn the light on in, in that process of coming home? What did you discover about yourself that maybe was hard to see before? That, 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 you know, I was that, my, who I was, that it, mm-hmm. it was all right. Yeah. That it was okay yeah. to be, you know, you know, because when I, I've always been like a sweet, I was a sweet little little guy, but in the environment that I grew in, that sweetness wasn't really um, um, good, a good thing. Mm. You know, I grew up in a real hard world where you really had to be kind of cold, 
right. in order to make it. And, and, and that sweetness, you know, wasn't really serving me. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, I grew up in uh, economically kind of situation. That's a, a polite mm-hmm. way of putting it. Right. And you really had to be a calculating individual to make it in those type of environments. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's the, what I told myself, and that was, that's what I was told, and I accepted that narrative that, listen, you got to be yeah. hard. Right. And I was a soft little cat, soft in the, in the sense mm-hmm. that, you know, I was willing even as a kid to share you know, what I have, the same way I'm doing now. Yeah. But, you know, that came to be viewed as a, a weakness, mm. you know, and and, and you know, that was a mistake I made. That's a mistake mm. that a lot of us make, I think, and not mm. understanding or not being told about uh, our true selves. You know, one of the things one of my mentors told me is that, you know, in, in, in pursuing education, I'm not talking about ac- academic education or law degree or anything like that, but he was just talking about uh, finding yourself, developing yourself, realizing yourself. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the root word of education is educed to bring forth that which is already there. Yeah, so yeah. that, you know, uh, was my understanding once I, you know, began the journey again. You know, that I was to go back and mm. begin where I left off and bring forth, you know, yeah. what was already yeah. there. And that's what I've been trying to do throughout all these uh, ensuing years is just to bring forth, you know, that which is inside of me. And, mm. and you know, just like the apple tree is in the sea, you know, that thing mm. has to be brought forth. All that's in that little thing, but you don't know all of that is in the nine-year-old. Yeah. But uh, it is, though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember where I had had heard it, but I had read something about, someone talked about it as the face before we were born. So, like, the the true self that we have or that we are is, it's always there. But then just like the sky is always blue, like, there'll be clouds that'll come and cover it up or a rainstorm or snow or whatever. But it doesn't mean the sky still isn't blue, and that core part of who we are is always there. It just gets covered up through the years. Yeah. So even as a therapist, I just tell people, I'm just here to help you like find your way back to you. There's nothing that I have that you don't already have within you. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it, because that's the, that's the actual case if you're really trying to help somebody. Yeah. To help them yeah. find their true selves, to help them hear their own voice. And um, that's the only help. You know that that's really beneficial. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions I had for you is is so how do you experience God? What is that like for you? And and in what ways do you connect to yourself or connect to God? Well, I, I experience God as a as a presence. And I was speak, speaking about that or, or alluding to that at the recent event, the uh, walk yeah. event we had up in New York. And it's a presence. It's something that comes over you. Um, whenever I'm writing, let's, let's say, you know, one of the things I do is, you know, I make sure my, my environment is pristine. I clean up and mm-hmm. make sure everything is where it's supposed to be. I try to put some, some you know, uh, some uh, scent, some kind of scent in the vent. You know, to blow out, you know, you know, you know. So I'm inviting my higher self to, you know, to come forth. You know, yeah. we have a higher self, and that's what, that's what I mean by God. I, I don't speak of God or think of God 
as an abstract entity, like some right. something that's removed from myself. Right. It's 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 inside myself, but it's not inside my ourselves alone. Though it's other things that mm. exist inside ourselves as well. Mm. You know, because to live on this planet, this is a uh, a fierce world we live in, and you need things to protect yourself. Not just the vision, mm. but you need to, you know, uh, uh, be able to sense danger and all these things. And those things are kind of removed, you know, or, or, or from your higher self or kind of exist in the realm of or what we, what you probably refer to as your lower self. I mean, to eat, to survive, you know, our ancestors, are, and even to this day, you have to kill things. You have to set traps and you have to hunt mm. and all those things. You know, and um, but I'm not talking about that. And so to, to call forth that higher thing, you know, um, that presence, you know, and, and you know, and, and some religions they call them the chakras. You can go from your, you know, your base yeah. level to your heart level, and so on. So you know, you know, I think you know God. My experience of God, of God, begins at the heart level, and and, mm. and once I could kind of bring my energy up to that level, then I feel like I'm in in, in the presence of, the, of that higher thing. And, you know, yeah. what I say and do in that space would be all good, you know, all love. You know? Mm. Yeah. 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 It feels like, um, what is it, what does it feel like to you? Like to me, it feels like a, almost like being surrounded by love, but everybody's experience is different. What is, when you're in that space, what does it feel like? Like life. You know, it's like you traveling. You 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 push this. You know these uh, concordance in the in the uh, G, GTS, and you know you, you you I'm here. This is the right place. This is where I'm supposed to be. But it's hard mm-hmm. to hold on to it, of course. You know mm-hmm. that's the that's the struggle of it. You know, and I think that's important. You know that we not live there. That we are. You know, we are in this world. And so we mm. have to also be able to bring our faculties to the situation at hand, you know, to be in this world but not of this world. In other words, you know, to see harm but not do harm, you know, right. because that, again, muddies the water when you do that, when you participate in something that uh, 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 brings shame to your higher self, to your higher, you know, mm. you know what I mean? You know, yeah, for sure. Something that I had to learn over the years that, you know, uh, what you do is important. You know, for mm-hmm. it, not uh, beyond the, the, the damage that you might cause to somebody else, but the damage you cause to yourself. But that's not to say that that higher thing is not with you as you move through the world. It is. Right. But right. you just kind of kind of hold on to it as you go about your day, as you go about your your business. You know, kind of hold on to it and be reflective of the fact that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that you that you live in a home where you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you live in this place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love one thing that I'm really interested in is just why we yeah, why we self betray. Like there we we have these parts of ourselves. Like you said when you were a kid, you were like a really sweet kid and then you had to sort of change that or alter that to be able to survive the world that you were in. Um but even as we get older, you know, you know as well as I do that we can continue to betray our higher self or to um push it away and uh, when you have experiences like that, what kind of helps you to recenter, to reground yourself in, in who you really are? I'm living in an environment where, you know, violence is really the, the, the principal language. That's right. how people communicate where I'm at. You know, where they talk with knives. 
you know, because mm. there's poor people are in these places, poor people who are competing for limited resources. And so mm. there's a lot of gains, there's a lot of violence in, in these places. But in the Bible, and, and, you know, I'm not a Bible dump or anything, but in the Bible right. it says, if you seek the kingdom, all these things will be added unto you. Mm. So if you seek an encounter with your higher self, you don't have to worry about where you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, and all these other things that guys are, mm. you know, principally occupied or completely occupied with. I mean, if you know who you are, and if you mm. know what life is, then you know these things, you know, will be provided. Not not to say that they fall magically from the sky, but you don't right. have to, you know, uh, uh, you know, stab people, you know, to get, you know, a sandwich. You know, mm. five, you know that we live yeah. in this real dynamic world, and that if you kind of tap into that 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 power, then your life would be all right. You know, a lot of guys mm. don't know that, so in they fear, they cling to each other and and, and and cling to the worst parts in themselves. You know, and I and mm. I was a part of that. I know what that I know what what what's that uh, about. And you know, guys ask me all the time to get close all the time. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. You know, everybody got a scheme, a way to, you know, right. to get over, to slip through the cracks. And guys ask me all the time, hey, man, you know, I got this. You know, I said, well, you know, I'm not on that anymore, bro. You know, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm not into those things anymore. So I kind of removed myself from the cause and effect type thing, the vicious cycle of violence and whatnot, by not by knowing that I don't need to participate in those things in order to live. You know, and yeah. so it's really just kind of, kind of mastering your fear, basically, because in fear you mm. do a lot of things that you know uh, uh, send reverberations out into the world, and those things mm. return as echoes into your life. You know. And, and, and people don't understand the cause and effect that, you know, you know, they, they create their own kind of uh, problems. And yeah. you have to be kind of, you know, smart to kind of um, get outside of all of that. You have to be aware, you know, right. uh, uh, that a life exists outside of that, you know, dog-eat-dog mm. type, uh, type situation, you know. Yeah. So I work out, I run, I do everything that I need to do in order to be able to uh, deal with those confrontations should they occur. You know, that's a part mm. of being a human being. But it's the right. environment. You know, people yeah. out of society, they judge this violence but not. But this is an environment that I'm talking right. about. This environment was created by people who don't live in this environment. That's a whole other conversation. But, uh, right. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So you shouldn't judge mm. people. If you're not in the situations that they that they're in, yeah. you know, and say that in the Bible, judge not lest they be lest you be judged by the same merit, and that's mm. what that's about. Man. Yeah, yeah. I think when I worked in, I used to work in residential with men recovering from homelessness, and there were so many things that happened in that facility that weren't right. <laughs> And a lot of it, and that's what I would say, I was like, well, you're like the people who are making the decisions or the policies are not the people who are living in this situation or not the people who are experiencing the situation. Um, and there was a lot of injustice that happened around that. Um, but it was also, like you're saying, really hard for a lot of my clients and, and really my they became my family. Um, my family, you know, like for them to try to figure out, yeah, how to live in this world uh, and trust that, that they will be okay. And so... How did you learn to trust that part of yourself? Because it's not easy, right? Like when your environment is demanding all these things of you or you feel like you do, you know, 
there's a reason to be fearful like you know there's things happening around you that would that would yeah. cause that like how did you learn to trust that part of yourself keep uh, reference the bible i mean i don't have anything against the bible i, I, I love uh, uh you know uh, uh matthew the new testament i love that whole you know it's a lot of wisdom and and and, and um and I just reference because I know people will be familiar with these different stories. But mm. you learn about faith by by by, by stepping out on the water. Mm. You know, uh, that's how you learn. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. not faith is not something that you talk about. It's something that you be about. You know, that you have to be about. You have to step out on the water. You have to go out on a limb. That's the only way you can know for sure. Mm. But once you have that experience, once you step out on the ice and your fear isn't dominating you in the ice holes, that you find something solid under your feet, that's all you need to see. You know, yeah. and you take another step. And if this mm. thing continues to hold, in, in that story in the Bible, you know, this, you know, Jesus and his disciples were out on the water, and uh, his disciples woke up and saw that Jesus was standing out on the water. He invited them out. And I, and I think that's what our higher self is beckoning us, you know, to come out mm. of yeah. the bodies, to come out of these, you know, senseless, uh, 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 you know, influences or whatever the case. And so I'm thinking about race. Yeah. I, I couldn't, couldn't yeah. pull the word that I wanted. But, yeah, I'm thinking about race. You know, come out of all of that. It's stupid. You know, like, you know, mm. leave all that on and just step out here. Try something mm. different. Try something new. Mm. You know, we still behaving as our ancestors behaved in the in the 1700s. Mm. We're still talking about race. We're still talking about you know racism. You know uh, about you know uh, lynching, about uh, 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 vote. You know about about the vote being stifled. About you know you know the vote being taken from people and all these other things. Yeah. And it's just like we're going to move on with our lives. Mm. Step mm. out on the water. Now we are really going to live what we say we believe in. And so until right. you do that and step out on the water, nothing, you'll, nothing in your life will change. Nothing will get better. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had a um, one of my residents there, he was talking about, he was recovering from an addiction. And whenever I would ask him, how, I'd be like, how are you doing today? He would say, oh, I'm just walking on water. That was always his response. And I loved that. He was like, I'm just walking on water. Like, I'm just trusting that, you know, things are going to work out and that I'm going to keep moving forward. And there's like, you know, all this unsteadiness happening around me. But every day I'm just walking on water. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. You know, once you get some road behind you, uh, once you put some distance between your failure and your uh, success, then you, you know, begin to, you are able to rest a little easier then. Mm. I think that's where I'm at right now. You know, but, you know, mm. if you say, well, I'm done with these things, because right now with my movement at the people who are in my life, uh, I, first I had to make a decision, you know, uh, you know, and, and, it, and it entailed, I was just talking to my friend Amy about this yesterday, in fact, and we was just marveling mm. uh, about, you know, the, uh, you know, how much beauty uh, we've experienced over this past year. So she's been yeah. in my life for quite a few years now and was here yeah. when it was just her and I just going over, you know, she's the one who really encouraged me to write the book. You know, yeah. you know, and how we wrote the book is, 
how I'm talking to you right now, I transcribed it or said it, spoke it to her over the phone because we couldn't trust the yeah. mail. So just imagine yeah, how yeah. many hours, you know, this woman yeah. said, listening to me, mm. you know, you know, tell her this story, you know, you know, and, and so it was just her and I doing that. And now we, you know, uh, you know, see the concerts, you know, the runs and all the other things that we're doing together. We just sitting back in awe of, of it all. But this is yeah. the promise, though. Right. You know, right. this is the promise. You know, that if you, you know, speak out who you are, you will find that you are not alone. But people have to get to the point where they are brave enough or have courage enough to speak out who they are talking about from your authentic self. Yeah. And you will find that you yeah. were born with people. You got friends that are waiting to meet you right now on this planet that's ready to help you right now on this planet. You just got to find your way back to yourself and be who you are. That takes courage, mm. though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And that and that's like the, you know, secret of life is like the more open we are, the more things can come in. Uh, and it seems so simple, but yeah. it's it's so hard to stay open. It's so hard to stay open. And, and it sounds like you've you've figured out a way. And I'm sure you have. Obviously, you have bad days and weeks and months or whatever, but you've figured out a way to kind of oh, yeah, yeah, come back to that place. That's the part, too, that people kind of gloss over. You're like, there's like there there was a lot of difficulty getting to where you're at and I think sometimes people only want to talk about like well it was like a hard time and then I got to this wonderful new place and then it was great but it's like no it was really hard and then I got to a better place and then it was still hard <laughs> right I don't, I don't I don't I don't I don't necessarily look at it like good and bad I mean I look at it as weather you know, it rains yeah. sometimes it snows sometimes it gets cold sometimes uh the sun is shining and we're passing through mm -hmm. these things you know, it's like, you know, we are, uh, you know, you know, a world, basically, you know, mm. and, and just like on the outside of us, we pass through these different or you know, various storms. Inside ourselves, we pass through the same thing, and the same thing we have to do inside when those things occur. We have to be still. That's where the peace comes from. Mm. You know, that's you got to learn how to do that, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and in order not to make it, you know, compound whatever you are going through. And that's, you mm. know, that's fear driving that whole thing. You know, mm. This too shall pass. You know, that's yeah. what that means. That this difficult part, quote unquote, that you're going through, it, it's, it's going to pass. And yeah. you want to be able to come out on the other side, having not made it worse by reacting in fear and, and saying or doing things that you regret. Learn how to be patient with yourself, be gentle with your friends, and, mm. you know, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's something that you that you learn over time. But you need yeah. friends gonna stick stick with stick with you. Not fair weather mm. friends. People who are yeah. always there when the sun is shining. People who, you know, are there when when the hurricane comes. And, and and you know, they you know, go through that with you. You know, and if you can get through those type of experiences and be kind to each other, that builds confidence in your connection, in the connection. And, and, you know, right. that's the whole point of friendship, to have friends go through those things with Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time somebody said to me, believe the people who believe in you. And to, like, be able to rely on them to remind you who you are when you can't remember yourself. Yeah, and believe in yourself. You know, yeah. uh, cultivate uh, uh, a faith in yourself because, as we said, you know, it's a higher something higher inside of you, and you just have to reach for it. You know, mm. uh, you just have to keep reaching for it. You, 
know, you just got to believe that it's there, that you're not just here for the hell of it. Right. You know, that your life has an overarching meaning and that you reach for your higher self, uh, you will yeah. arrive, at, you know, at that, at that, at that meaning, at that place. You know, and that you just have to have faith in that and step out on the water. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have yeah. faith in each other. That's important. Right. Have faith in each, yeah. have faith in each other. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think, like, the, the if you have, I know this is a huge question, but what do you feel like the meaning of life is? What's, what's the meaning of, of being alive? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I, I don't have a definite meaning of life. I, 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 I believe in evolution. I, I believe that, uh, mm. you know, our pur- pur- primary purpose is to move things forward. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, we had all, we've already resolved. I mean, not that it needed to be resolved, but we've already resolved in the 1800s that black people are human beings. Mm. I mean, it's fucked up. It's messed up that we even have yeah. to, you know, grapple with these kind of questions. But okay, we grapple with it. We've concluded that black people are human beings, and yet here we are in the 21st century, mm. and we're still grappling with this same thing. We haven't evolved. Mm. We haven't moved mm. forward. And all of life, no matter what level you look at it on, everything is evolving. Everything is moving yeah. forward, you know, or dying. And I think I think what a lot of people don't understand is that if we don't move forward, that we are going to die. This present course that we are on is killing the planet. If everything Ooh. that we need is to die, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, whatever the reason you think we are here, we can't do that if we don't have a planet. And so there's a lot of short-sightedness involved uh, uh, in, in the current path that we are on. You know, all my reading and mm-hmm. thinking about these things convinced me to believe that uh, uh, we, we we don't really understand what we, what, what, what we are doing. Yeah. There's a lot of ignorance involved desire to remain as we are, especially for people in power. They have, you know, made built this myth about uh their whiteness and whatnot and mm. are married to that myth. I mean if you look at them, you you know, uh, it seems that, you know, they are willing to uh go down with the ship. But mm. we shouldn't as individuals we shouldn't just leave it up to them. You know, yeah. We too have a responsibility to this planet as well, and we should try to fulfill our obligation to that higher thing, and not to these other people who are guided by delusions. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of ignorance and fear, and just lack of, yeah, yeah. you know, compassionate understanding going on in the world right now. And I think that you know, being able, you know, this is why I do the podcast, right? Like, I think stories are something that humanize us no matter what it is that you're going through or experiencing if we can nobody you know know someone's story if we can connect to them in that way um we are able to move forward because we feel less alone we feel more of a connection um but people are afraid of themselves and so they kind of they turn away turn away people are afraid of of the future of the unknown yeah there's a lot of fear in us you know, people, some people find themselves in an abusive relationship, but that's something that they know how to navigate, something that they have mm. learned how to navigate. And so yeah, they're more familiar. comfortable there than, turn, you know, you know, going into a new situation because, you know, you know, you never know what that new situation will, will, will 
turned out to be. And so people yeah. um, become comfortable where they are, even if where they are is not serving, ultimately serving, serving them. It's a flaw that we as human beings uh, have, a blind spot in our, in our awareness of things. Yeah, I always tell clients that when they're they're starting to get healthy, that it will feel like they're doing the wrong thing, or it might even feel like they're dying because a part of them is dying, like this old pattern or old behavior. Plus, you know, yeah. And plus, you, you can underestimate that old uh, adage about misery loves company. You right. Know, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because when I when I when I made an announcement, I announced to my 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 friend, I'm I'm done getting high. I'm done doing mm. drugs. And all of them said, no, 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 come on, man. He's just saying that this time and time. And part of the reason mm. why they was probably saying that because I was the one getting in the drugs in. Right. right. I'm the one who had to connect, you know. So when I, you know, and so it's a lot of peer pressure to keep you where you are. Because benefit, mm. people benefit from, from ignorance as yeah. well. People benefit from right. blindness as well. Like all those people who are around Trump right now, even though all the uh, data uh, right. uh, shows that he lost the election. I yeah. mean, it's, yeah. it's there. Yeah. You know, just like the evidence for coronavirus was there. But the yeah. thing that we human beings have that no other creature on this planet has is the ability to deceive ourselves. Self-deception. We can mm-hmm. do that. We can right. lie to each other. I mean, we right. tell lies to each other all the time, and some of these mm-hmm. uh, 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 lies, you know, carry on. Like, we tell this lie about Christmas, about Santa Claus, about this fat white man mm-hmm. who's going to get on a sleigh with, you know, flying reindeers, going to fly right. all over the earth, dropping off kids, <laughs> dropping off toys to kids. And, and, and all of us participate in this lie, and it's a harmless <laughs> lie, you know, when you're a kid. But we, but we still, even in our dark, our dark, our adulthood, continue to kind of fabricate these kind of intricate kind of stories about mm-hmm. uh, about life, you know, yeah. about, and, and it doesn't have anything to do with anything, uh, you know, in the realm of reality. But and yet we persist in doing that to each other, telling yeah. each other lies, and you know, supporting each other lies, uh, pointing out evidence. And you can go any nowadays. You can go on the internet and find whatever proof you need to verify whatever lie you want to believe. Oh yeah. And, you know, yeah. so it's complicated to to to, to know and uh, stay on your on your path. You know. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard. But that's the whole hard. point of having friends, having yeah. people, you know, uh, um, in your circle with whom you can test your reality. And people who um, mm. had the courage to be truthful with you, and, and, and people who had the faith and the friendship to know that telling the truth that your your friendship can survive that, the truth. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. When oh, you got friends like sure. that, when you have people in your life like that, you know, that's when you know you're doing all right. That's what you want yeah. people to judge you by. Yeah. By the yeah. people that you have in your life. Yeah. 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 And I think that's what you offer to so many people, just as a friend, as a mentor. Um, even just for myself, reading your book and getting to know you through email, I think yeah. you just you create this space where people are welcome to be themselves. And I'm so glad that we got to connect today, Keith. I'm so glad that you were able to be here, and I look yeah, forward yeah. to continuing the conversation with you. And uh, like I said, I'm just so grateful to have met you at this time. Um, and just really thank you again yeah, for, yeah, for being pleasure. here. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was my pleasure, Sarah. Um, it's been good getting to know you as well. And, you know, one of the things about a friend, just to piggyback on what you were saying, is that to uh, uh, have friends, you have to know how to be a friend. That's something my friend mm-hmm. told me. And um, yeah. it, it's the truth. You know, um, and, and, and a lot of times, I think I uh, said this in one of our email exchanges, a lot of times you hear people treat people how you want to be treated. But generally right. what happens or what actually happens in actuality is that we treat people how we treat ourselves. And, uh, you know, and I can just imagine, and, and mm-hmm. the reason why I have just a, a, a small amount of compassion for Donald Trump is because I know it has to be hell to live with somebody mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. narcissistic. You know, the mm-hmm. pain that he must be in, you know, and why it's so mm-hmm. difficult for him to accept that he lost. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you know, and to not have any friends, nobody around you who willing to say, hey, Donald, you know, come on, man. Yeah. No, you know, and but I have people in my life, friends, who tell me, like, Keith, you got something on your face. And they also tell me when I have something on my spirit. And so mm. that's important, to have people in your life who are willing to point things out for you, things that you can't see yourself, to, you know, serve yeah. as mirrors in your life so you can look at yourself and be proud of what you look at when you look in the mirror. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, it's good to talk to you, Sarah, and hopefully we have an opportunity to have another exchange in the future. But, yeah, oh, of thank course. you. Peace go with you. Yeah, yeah. You too, Keith. So great talking to you, and thanks for, for being here. Okay, good, cool. Take care of yourself. Right. Have a good day. Open Hands is produced, hosted, and edited by Sarah Nickerson. Theme music is by Sleeping at Last. You can find Open Hands on Instagram at Open Hands Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and be well.